0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of In the Finest Hour. I am your podcast host and debate moderator, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy. And I have with me, speaking for the offense, Shaylin Allen, our good podcast host. Shaylin, what are your bona fides?
1: I am distinctly pro-ally. And that is, for a multitude of reasons, we will reveal in a short while, but most of the reason is I've been playing with and without allies for a long time now, and I have some views.
0: And standing for the opposite position, our evil podcast host, Joshua Death. Josh, tell us about your bona fides.
2: My bona fides, sir. My bona fides are this. I will tell you all right now, by the time you've heard this argument, and you've listened to the facts of this case you will understand that allies have single-handedly destroyed 40k. And I will prove this to you by the time.
0: We'll ask the defendant not to impersonate Jonas Finch any more than absolutely necessary. (laughs) As you may have guessed, this episode is going to be a little bit different from our normal run-of-the-mill fair, as we're going to be hosting a sort of debate forum on the topic of allies and what their place in the game is. Shaylin will be speaking in favor of them, and Josh will be speaking against them. Uh, this doesn't necessarily... I object. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's, I'm sure you do.
1: <laughs> That's why he's evil, folks.
0: Right. This doesn't necessarily represent our personal views on the subject in a very deep degree, as I think all three of us have kind of mixed feelings on the subject. True story. As we we understand that there are both positive and negative implications... But for purposes of this debate, we're going to be each taking a side and arguing the case.
1: Halberds in hand.
0: (laughs) Yes. Uh, Arguing might be the most genteel way of putting it. We do want to caveat this with sort of the uh, usual subject matter, which is that we are a competitive podcast. We talk about competitive play, so obviously allies have a big effect on narrative and open play as well. We're not really going to touch on that very much because that is a completely different subject with completely different pros and cons on it. So be aware that, you know, obviously that is a thing, but it's not a thing we're going to go into too deeply here. Why don't I get each of you to make just a, a quick kind of opening case here. It's, lay, lay your basic argument down on what you think allies are good for or bad for the game and why you stand where you stand. Uh, Shaylin, would you like to take it since you are making the, the positive case here? Certainly, sir.
1: Allies are a great means of adding variety to the game and complexity. They keep players on their toes, and they allow people to create synergies and kind of spin things up in unique ways. They let codexes with holes get shored up, and codexes with strengths shore up holes. So it it all works out and balances things in its own way. I also think it's been written intentionally for allies, considering they've been part of the game for several editions now.
0: Fair enough. Josh, what's what's your feeling on the subject? Where do you stand?
2: A couple notes on my side of that: the complexity issue is is a prime example. I feel like the complexity is an exact reason why the allies need to go away. Um, the The game is overly complex; has become massively bloated, and the complexity has become a hindrance and a barrier for a lot of players to get into competitive play. So, the complexity that's a detracting factor more than it is about a helping factor. And then on top of that, you look at the actual effect it has on the the ability to for these armies. The, these armies you get the holes well these armies need holes otherwise we're all just playing chess everything's the same the whole point is these guys are weak with this these guys are strong with this that's why you pick the armies you do so you have that flavor you take it away and everyone's running vanilla i don't like vanilla i want chocolate or i want pistachio or, or mint I, I don't want everyone running vanilla so that's that's what it is we're anti-vanilla
0: all right Some interesting points on both sides there, I think, that we're going to have to delve a little deeper in, Uh, but first I think there is at least one thing that we can probably all agree on, Uh, and that is from a financial standpoint, allies have been great for the game, yes?
2: Yeah. You mean GW makes a lot of money? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, okay, I'll agree on that.
0: Yeah, it's pretty inarguable that allies have seen significant increases in GW sales. They've admittedly corresponded with a number of addition changes, but you you really can't swing a cat without finding a player who started an army because of an ally force. It's, well, I'll just buy 500 points of this, and then they, you know, a year and a half later, they have a 3,000-point army and are looking to add a titan to it.
2: It was one time... From GW's perspective,
0: uh, allies are great, I'm sure, but we're talking more from the player perspective. Because from the player perspective, I think there's, there's a lot to kind of delve into. Here's an interesting one to put off. Allies should have a cost, as everything in the game has a cost. Whether it's an opportunity cost, or a more direct points cost, or something else do we feel that allies are paying a sufficient cost for the option that they are including themselves? Uh, Shailen, where do you stand?
1: The main cost of allies is actually fiscal because you're probably buying a whole new codex, hauling that thing around, studying a whole new army, so there's a time cost involved. Certainly. Um, and also the studying of allies also becomes relevant um, to the competitive player, so there's definitely costs there.
0: Those are costs that every army pays. Allied are not, though, since you would have to study a book regardless of whether it was an allied book. Uh, Do you feel that they pay a cost above and beyond
1: the normal? They do in the sense of, uh, assuming no allies, everyone had to at least study their book. Yes. And kind of study the other books. You have to study synergies, and you have to study up to three books if you've brought three sets of al- three different allied detachments. Does that make sense?
0: Uh, yes. Um, do you feel that that cost alone is enough to balance allies? It's that it's commensurate with the power increase that they're getting?
1: No, but it definitely can be a little prohibitive for some people. The other thing it does is with the new detachments that come out that specifically require pure faction, not even the Assassins, out of the new Space Marine book, for example, that is a cost. That's a complete decision there, if you want tactical doctrines or not.
0: It's true. Uh, although Space Marines are largely alone in paying that cost.
1: Yes, but considering they are going through the Codexes, I suspect we'll see more of it in the future.
0: It's possible. Josh, would you like to make a, a rebuttal on any of that, or do you have any points you would want to raise?
2: Yes, very much. That one, one big one I want to mention is... The beginning of 8th edition, prime example. Supposedly, the edition that fixed all the problems, right? Mm-hmm. Here's my point. At the beginning of 8th edition, right, allies were free reign. The only thing you needed to make an army was even a detachment was a similar keyword. Everyone needs to be Imperium. Everyone needs to be Chaos. And that, thus was born the true soup lists, as they are called now. By the way, ever since 48th edition hit, I hate soup now. Can't eat it. and if you think about it what is the big problem about early 8th edition well there was a soup list everyone bringing i'm gonna bring saint celestine and mephiston and uh uh, all these other characters and i'm pretty much running death star 40k again so what did they do they let's make it a little less soup let's make it to where the detachment's gonna have to have a shared keyword okay well now people are still soup and just a little less and a little less Well, if you want to point out a rule that's wrong, look at the fact that every single time they drain out an FAQ or a major change in the rules, those are getting more and more restrictive. Why? Because they're not good for the game. And they're realizing they have to keep just tightening that grip until something breaks. And eventually, allies, I feel, are eventually going to go back to the way they used to be, and they're just not there anymore. They need to go back to that. Honestly, I say do it like they're doing this legacy crap. With, with all the indexes and stuff. You know what, you want to run it in fun play, open play, have fun with it. But in a tournament, it's not balanced right. Hence the reason they keep having to change it.
0: Well, speaking of balance, I think that leads us into uh, another major factor of allies, codex balance, and how co- allies affect codex balance. As obviously the ability to take things from multiple codices is going to affect how you not only take things from your own codex, uh, but how units are balanced di- across different codexes. Josh, uh, obviously you have some some fairly strong feelings on how it affects sort of the, the game as a whole. What, what's your take on the way it affects sort of the more internal balance of codices?
1: Yes, let us hear the salt.
2: <laughs> yes. I've got two words for you people when it comes to you want to talk about codex balance for anyone that can remember the days two words okay taudar and riptide wing that's three words whatever <laughs> all right but you get my point that is a very glaring example of some of those issues when you start bringing allies into the game when you're when i was talking earlier about how the strengths and weaknesses of certain armies you take an army like Tao as an example. Now obviously Tau can't really ally anymore, but it's gonna it's gonna point out the example of what I'm trying to point out. And that you take a Tau army, which is predominantly a gunline style army. Obviously there's different variants, but it's predominantly a gunline style army. They have weaknesses. Those weaknesses balance out with the fact that they are really good at being a gun line. Astra Militarum are a prime example. Astra Militarum are primarily a gunline army. Now Normally, as a player, you would have to shore up with your abilities as a player and a list rider to compensate for those weaknesses by utilizing those strengths to the best of your ability. But instead, I can just, oh, well, you know what? Let's just bring some Space Wolf guys to screen my line, and there's my combat issues. Boom, done, you know? Um, and, and that really doesn't feel like, to me, as the player is now having to shore that up with their ability and their list writing. They're just grabbing, cherry-picking the stuff they want to make the, the, their weaknesses better. And that's not really good for the army. It's not good for the players. It's not competitive.
0: So, Shaylin, Josh has obviously made a a pretty strong case in favor of things. Uh, Although I think it's worth pointing out in Ferris that uh, although he, he calls Imperial Guard a primarily shooting gunline type list, they do have Bolgren, one of the strongest melee units in the game, internal to the army. Do you think that lists necessarily need these kind of weaknesses, or is that itself kind of a flaw of the game's design?
1: I distinctly, as a Grey Knight player, can tell you right now that some armies are crippled with the lack of allies. Like, Grey Knights basically don't work without allies. Let's be honest about that.
0: By design, they're a very low model count army, which is extremely limiting, this edition.
1: Yes, and so as a result of this... Some armies, I'm pretty certain, were built with allies in mind, designed to be add-on forces, uh, either by being a small codex or by being extremely elite in nature. So given that that was obviously a thing they walked into the edition trying to build for, taking it out probably creates glitches, I suspect, considering they built towards it. That's my thought.
0: So you're saying that not all of the uh, armies are necessarily intended to be balanced within the codec context of only their own codex? Yes. That makes a sort of sense. Um,
2: Redirect?
1: <laughs> oh.
2: Magnus, demon FAQ. Enough said. Well, we can't
0: say that Games Workshop is entirely consistent with anything they do. I don't think that's an argument either of you would be willing to lay your credibility on the line
2: for. So true, so true.
1: Oh, no. (laughs)
2: We're
0: probably going to have to speak in broad brushes here in many cases. Well, so here's another potential issue that uh, may be seen. A lot of players will complain that, uh, kind of as Josh has mentioned, that if allies are allowed to take their place in the game, you will see players only cherry-picking the very best of units. Mm -hmm. I will take Guard for its artillery, and then I will take Space Marines for their melee, and then I will take Custodes for their HQs, and I'm done. I don't need anything else because I took the absolute best things from a small handful of books. Do you feel this is necessarily something that people should be able to, or do, do in competitive play? Uh, is this a real problem, or is it an imagined one?
1: The problem is what it is. It's the state of play we have right now. So, as an autistic person, I'm going to tell you right now, it's what exists. So
0: it's, it's maybe a matter of players projecting a should onto what is. Yes. Interesting. Josh, how do you feel?
2: Oh, i definitely say it should go away. I'm going to say the should. <laughs> okay. When you're talking about what is or is not an underpowered unit with allies in the game, you can't even answer that question. Because how do I know what in my codex is subpar if I've never actually had the chance or have been forced to put some of those other units on the table to compensate for some of those holes in my army? Because if I start looking at the numbers, oh, well, I'm just going to bring uh, custodes. Why? Because custode shield captains are amazing and Really and truly, I really don't need any other HQs. They're the badasses. They shoot. They fly. They fight. They're tough. What else do I need? And so, you know, as as a Imperial Guard player or an Admech player or whatever, it's the if I'm going to default to the best option, I have no reason, no influence, no incentive to look at some of those other options. So I never really even get to see what else my Codex can do.
0: It's certainly a possibility, although, in fairness, we have seen a number of books that, even to this day, have not been fully explored, with orcs being maybe one of the best examples. Uh, Even having no option to ally, there are still orc builds that I think players have not taken full advantage of yet. Uh, So, it may not be allies are what's holding people
1: back. Creativity and following the flow.
0: There's certainly a component of that.
2: you all sheep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: can, can, sheeple? Can you say
2: sheeple for us?
0: Sheeple, sheeple. Excellent, there we go. Uh, now we're, now we're going full internet.
2: <laughs>
0: so, the other, I think, major point that I have seen already a number of times, and I'd like to get both your takes on, uh, underpowered codexes and allies. Uh, this is obviously a particular specialty of Shaylin's...
2: <coughs> Grey Knights! <coughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Um, how do you feel allies affect these, quote, underpowered codexes? Uh, we're not going to go into the issue of how powerful they actually are and all of that sort of thing, but uh, how, how do you think they affect the power level of these books and their performance at tournaments?
1: So I was about going from a 55% win rate to maybe a 10% win rate as a difference.
0: Can't argue that. Fair. Do you want to expand on that a little bit, perhaps?
1: Uh Basically, with the underpowered books, you can tell they're underpowered, and Reese tells you that the unit is better than the unit from that book. Right. And uses the same example every time. Right. But uh, Reese aside, underpowered books basically nosedive pretty dang hard when you take away any support system they have, and it can be frustrating to play them. That
0: makes uh, sense, especially because a lot of players will use sort of more mainline units to to shore up an underpowered book and, you know, cover some of the things that it can't do. Because Grey Knights does have things they're not terrible
1: at. No, they have some of the literally best psychic defense in the game. That's fantastic. But they don't have any screens.
0: Right. So if you can use that to sort of cover up what you can't do, then you can take advantage of the best features of your book.
1: Yes. You you can make units shine in ways they couldn't before because they're properly supported because there isn't the internal support there. Hmm. Even on a basic level in some of these books. So
0: Like adding bodies to the, the Grey Knight or Custodes army.
1: Yes. Just just like a little bit of bodies because it's really hard to find something cheap that sits in the backfield, though I did, but that's different. <laughs> different story.
0: Josh, would you like to give give us a hot take on this?
2: Some of the some of the examples, I mean obviously Grey Knights is one we, we kind of joked about but we talked about you know but there's other side of the aisle too. you know you've got death card as a prime example is like as a pure codex on its own. it's not really the greatest. but again this goes back to as a player or, or a, a competitive player, if you are running to run this codex, it's got some major strengths in it, just like the Grey Knights have some monster strengths in their book. But to get those strengths, you're paying the price of your taking the weaknesses. Instead, now you're, I'm getting all the strengths and I don't have to have the weaknesses. Where's the balance in that? There is no balance in that. Because then you have the other side where you have certain armies out there that don't have that access. They don't have the access to be able to balance. So, there, if I've got some armies that can cherry pick and some armies that can't, and I have some codexes that are inherently amazingly good in one category but bad in another... Now, yes, are they underpowered compared to some of these other armies right now? Yes, they are. But how much are they underpowered is it based off the fact that allies exist?
0: That's an interesting point. Do you think that uh, were we to cut allies wholesale out of the game, uh, just remove them as an option entirely, do you think that an underpowered book such as Grey Knights would be able to stand head-to-head with books like Orcs? eldari space marines things like that hell no i i think there's good evidence that they would take a significant hit to their effectiveness do you do you feel that's true josh
2: this is one of those answers where i'll definitely give a yes and no so would they get a bump or a hit when going against some of the top tier mono armies they would definitely take the hit but what the trade off would be is example when that your Grey knight army happens to go up against this uh Imperial Guard, Admech, Custode mixed army, now it'd be one of those. Either Custodes or Admech or Imperial Guard. Any one of those individually, your Grey Knights would be paired against better because of the fact that they're going to now have the same issues you have trying to shore up their weaknesses versus a mixed up, you know, Custodes, Admech, Imperial Guard army where they've gotten all the choice units they got. Yeah, your Grey Knights are going to struggle in that case even with what little bit of allies you have. So if you went pure at that point, yeah, I think you're going to pair up better. So, is there going to be a broader, uh, larger breadth of different, better matchups for you? I think yes. I there would be. There'd be more good matchups for you going pure, but yes, those those couple bad matchups are just going to be really bad matchups. So I guess it's kind of one of those where you're it's a give and take in that in that regard. Shailene, do you have any
1: kind of final thoughts there, or... Perhaps I'm being a little cynical, but honestly, if everyone played pure granites, we would still be kind of the whipping boys of this edition. Let's be straight about that.
0: <laughs> I, I think I might have to agree there. Uh, I think Because are...
1: their weaknesses are pretty vast.
0: There are some books that do struggle heavily to compete, even in an environment purely pure.
1: I have taken them to purely pure tournaments, and they, they get their butt kicked in. To put it mildly, but I guess to Josh's credit, it would be more obvious to the game designers that there are major pitfalls in those books. That's fair. I, I will give him that much, but the the other thing is, it's more fun than just seeing one army on there. I mean, it's like, oh cool, I can have these little ladies over here, and these little guys over here, and I don't have to yell at somebody about all my conversions.
0: Well, let's actually uh, take that on to our, our next subject here, which is what should be the place of allies in the game? Uh, we've already argued a number of kind of the, the effects that they'll have on the, the competitive scene and this sort of thing. Uh, but let's dig in a little bit to the core issue is what should allies be? Because we talked a lot about uh, some of the, the effects, uh, but let's talk the morality of it, so to speak. Um, Shailen, you want to start this one out here? Uh, wh- why should we allow allies into the game?
1: So, for one example, citing the Demon Codex, we will have allies on some level, because you can always summon.
0: Presuming that's possible, of course. Uh, yeah, Assuming summoning, presuming can be summoning as... remains
1: as is, there will always be allies on some level, in at least in the Chaos faction.
0: But that that's is, awesome. I, I feel like that is a bit presumptive, since that's that's almost taught, uh... Tautological in that as, as long as there are allies, there will be allies. Um, yeah, if no. we presume that all forms of allying are removed, is that no one is allowed to cross over, is that good? Is that bad? Uh, where, where do we stand on the subjects?
1: As I stated, there are some units that were very clearly designed to be allied. The Assassins are one of them. They have a stratagem for getting slotted into other armies. They are deliberately decided to be an add-on.
0: It is difficult to conceive of a game state where the nothing-but-assassins army is intended by GW.
1: Yes, that is one thing, and some armies, it's, it's again, a variety thing. So, the place of them is to have, like, hey, I've got this, this thought of this group of people, and putting it forward was kind of the, the at least the, na- the thought of the Allies is a narrative thought. So they have some place in the game, no matter what, I feel.
0: Do you think that allies add variety to the game or remove it when taken as a whole? Uh, because I think I've, they add
1: some variety, actually.
0: I've, I've seen the argument that they, they remove variety because it incentivizes everyone to take the same Loyal 32, Castellan, etc. But Contrawise also that they add variety uh, in that they allow players to mix things up more. Yes. So you, you feel they come in. Why do you think that
1: is? I think that is because for a long time I didn't even want to bring allies or even consider looking at other factions or other models that weren't Grey Knights until I realized it was to my competitive advantage to do so.
0: And, and do you, you feel that's things. that has improved you as a player as a whole then? Yes. Okay. Josh? Would you, would you like to speak to the subject as well? Why do you, do you think allies improve or remove variety in the game?
2: Variety? It improves. It, it does give variety to the game. But with that variety, you cannot get without the complexity level that comes with it. Okay. And uh, so many people talked about the transition from 7th to 8th edition, how the game was going to be so much more simple, so much more streamlined. The game is more bloated now, than it was in 6th and 7th edition. You can't go to a tournament now without your opponent stepping up to the table and you needing, as a player, to be honestly and truly competitive, needing to know about a half a dozen different codexes and potentially two or three supplements just to know what the hell's going on in their army. And that's on a moderate level. I've seen armies where they're, they're dipping into a dozen plus different books just to come up with their army competitively. And, and as a competitive player, that is a lot of information. That is a lot of information that you have to start to know and understand and truly, like, you actually have to know it, not like, oh, I read that once. You really need to know that. If you're going to be competitive, you need to know this. With that, then, comes all the complexity of that. Rules, interactions, overlaps, redundancies, synergies, it's all there. When you start bringing allies, it just gets exponentially more confusing. So, yeah, that's a major detractor for me. Does it give you variety? Yes. But it also makes the complexity go through the roof.
0: Shaylin, you played significantly during 7th edition. How would you feel 8th compares to 7th in terms of complexity? Josh has made a pretty significant claim there.
1: So, it's hard for me to look at complexity without looking at god dang confusing. Because 7th was million miles more confusing. And in that sense, it was way more complex. Um, also, because of the imbalance, there were less armies at the top. There was, like, three builds you had to memorize to go. So I will give it that, but they relied on broken rules.
0: And often broken rules that acted in non-intuitive ways, oh, I would yeah. say.
1: Uh, uh, so so that that was definitely a thing there. In that sense, there was a rules bloat, a severe rules bloat in 7th that 8th does not have, because the rules are relatively intuitive now. At least what it, what you think it does, it actually does. For the most part.
2: Uh but uh, some of the issues, some of the issues you run into though is like example, you didn't seventh edition, you didn't have all the stratagems we have now. But now, you, when you start bringing in allies, now you have the stratagems of okay. What stratagems can I can't use? Which stratagems can I use, but only use on certain units? Which stratagems can I not use, but can work on those units, but not those units? Wait, which warlord traits can I take, and they can only affect those guys, but not those guys? Which relics am I extra allowed to take that only affect those guys, but not these guys? Like, that level of complexity is legitimately 100% there. Especially now that you've got the, the supplement books, like the vigilist books, where now we've got the specialist attachments, and more stratagems, more warlord traits, more relics all intermixing in it's 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 like mind-blowing
1: so to that point Josh that's with all the supplements and stuff those aren't going away so even if we don't have allies you still have to read about 18 books to be competitive because you can mix up and synergize up with the supplements to crazy teas it's well.
0: true none of the most of what you have uh, brought up the warlord traits the specialist attachments etc are not features of allies they are features of individual books.
2: Oh, yes, you're right. They are features of it. What I'm saying, though, is allies, uh, they ramp that complexity of that as as an opponent and a player, like, tenfold. If I know you're running Marines, and let's say you want to run the added, the the Vigilist supplements or whatever, and you want some extra Warlord traits or Relics or whatever, then I know that you're running Marines. 90% of what you have is going to affect Marines, which is your whole army, so it's not a big deal. But now, if you're running Imperial Guard and Custodes and Admech, now I'm having to track, okay, wait, what's actually benefiting and what's not?
0: Let's take a point of order here. How many cross-faction abilities can you name? Let's take the example you just used, which is a Custodes, Admech, Imperial Guard army. What abilities can be used cross-faction in that army? Because I can only think of one.
1: Summoning an assassin. Nope. Mm-hmm.
0: That is not unique to any of those armies. The only cross-faction ability I can think of in that army, and I am relatively well-versed in in most of those rules, is repairing vehicles with a tech marine. Yes. That's the only one I can think of that works cross-faction.
1: Gilliman has his auras that work cross-faction Not a part of
0: any of those three factions, though.
1: He said space marines.
0: Well, then he named four factions. Well... I think this is a good point to take a break, give everyone a little bit of a rest, and maybe step back from things, as I know you both realize you were... One more for you. Yes, right on the the brink of ultimate victory. Uh, And we will catch everyone in the second half of the episode as we continue the debates.
1: Greetings Wargamers, let me tell you about the Dots RPG Project. It's a nonprofit organization aiming to create gaming aids such as tactile braille dice and transcribing braille rulebooks and other gaming aids to help various individuals with disabilities, both intellectual and physical, get into gaming in our local communities. I highly advise sending some money their way, they're doing some really good work.
0: And we have returned with both our lawyers having consulted their legal briefs and also put on their legal briefs in preparation for this event.
1: You're assuming I wear briefs.
0: I specifically ordered you to as the judge of this court, so if you're not, I'm going to have to hold you in contempt. I mean, like, more contempt than I hold most people in.
1: (laughs) Uh... I, I'm I'm gonna throw a female symbol in your face, and you can go not talk about that. Women can wear briefs.
0: Not I know lots this time. Of women month. Who wear briefs. Well,
2: maybe you're just not trying hard enough. Does it count if I just wore them briefly? Briefs briefly is twice as brief as briefs. <laughs> uh, well, that was a brief statement.
0: Let's get into the the next big uh, issue that I think we have to tackle here, which is books which don't get to ally, because there are a significant number of them in the the game as well. Josh, would would you like to start us off on this one? How do you feel that books that don't get to ally sort of relate to this whole thing?
2: I think those, those books right there are exact proof of why you do not need allies in the game. Because... Almost every single one of those books that have zero access to allies have done just fine as remaining competitive builds, competitive books in the meta as it stands. Some of them have even been meta-defining style books. Orcs being a prime example. Orcs have done exceptionally well in the meta. And as you mentioned earlier, there's still builds in there that we haven't even tapped yet. And that's a mono. There's no allies in there. And they do just fine. Tau is another example. I mean, are they winning massive GTs and majors with them? No, but they're competitive. They don't need it.
0: They have won quite a number of large events with their, their performance wavering over uh, a number of months. Uh, although I notice you do use the word almost because Necrons are obviously sitting out in the cold still.
2: They're struggling a bit. They are. But they have done a little bit better in more recent months because some uh, some people have dedicated the time to trying to figure them out. But it just goes to show, rather than being a detracting argument, it's actually a supporting argument. The fact that you have these armies that are just fine on their own. They don't need the allies. So it shows that the system can work just fine without them.
0: Do you think Games Workshop balances those books to be more powerful because they lack allies? Or do you think that is by accident of design? No.
2: I do not think it was an accident, no. I think to uh, in support of what Shay had mentioned earlier... That GW, yes, they have designed this concept and this edition around the mentality of the the allies are there. So they built these other codexes to be able to compensate for the fact that obviously they do not have access to the same pool that some of the other factions
1: do. Shaylene, how
2: would you respond to that?
1: Well, he just agreed with me, so that's a good start.
0: <laughs> yes, uh, although he agreed with you in support of his own point, which is maybe not what you, quite exactly what you want. Are these books balanced with allies in mind? And if so, does their lack of access to allies say anything useful about the game?
1: They were obviously built with, uh, with the knowledge at the start of the edition that they wouldn't have keyword overlap. Mm-hmm. I do agree with that. I do agree that it does demonstrate that it is possible to build mono and be successful. I- I- in the sense of Codex design, GW is capable. But I will also point out that there are plenty of factions that you give them no allies, they fall over. So it's it's obvious that that was their intention and they did fulfill it. Uh, I don't feel that they lose out because that was the intention at creation.
0: Do you think that necessarily makes that design superior to the uh, ally-centric model, we'll say?
1: I think it is a little odd that they don't get any ally access. I, I, I actually do agree with Josh. It does strike me as odd, from hmm. at least autistically this annoys the crap out of me. It does mean there is some potential to create allies for those factions as a place to add models later if they wished to. Yes,
0: yeah, so a lot of people have discussed the idea as it relates to Tau...
1: Uh, Because they certainly gave Tyranids allies out of the blue. Tyranids now have two forms of allies, and they were, like, anti-ally even in 6th and 7th. Yes. So there is a lot of potential there. I can see new factions coming into the game to support those books.
0: It's an interesting idea, uh, the the idea of bringing some more new... Because GW has demonstrated a lot of willingness to create new factions in 7th and 8th edition. Yes. uh, As we've obviously seen. Yanari. Right. Yeah, you Yanari, right, but also Gene Stealer Colts, Admac, Custodes. Uh, Custodes. These are all v- relatively newcomers to the, the playing field, so it's not implausible that we do see additional factions added to the game that would allow allying for the non ally codexes.
1: Yeah, it's it's a place to grow.
0: That's an interesting thought. Let's go ahead and dig in on the subject that Josh has hit on a couple of times already, and I think deserves maybe a, a little bit deeper talk, which is game complexity. Uh, Josh Josh has made the contention that allies add significantly to the complexity of the game in a way that detracts from it. Um, Chaelin, would you like to make a point there?
1: I would like to say it adds a certain kind of thrill and fun, at least for me, Uh, I enjoy keeping track of 18 different things at once, but I'm an absolute weirdo in that regard, so I can see why that's annoying for people. Well,
0: perhaps not as weird as you might think, because, I mean, all of us enjoy learning and uh, attempting to improve our skills, that's why we're competitive players.
1: Yes. So, in that regard, uh, it is delightful to kind of see how something will spin something else in a completely different direction. I mean, I have a lot of fun list-building, switching out my allies and such. Hmm. That made me laugh and delight for a long time. So, in that regard, the the complexity is a big thrill for me. It's a challenge. It makes me stronger, and I just embrace and charge head onto it. Demon hammer first.
0: So you feel it's a, uh, a a a net positive for the game because it gives options and keeps things fresh.
1: Yes. All
0: right, Josh. Uh, would you would you care to take your side of things?
2: I feel like the, the more and more allies become a thing in 40K, specifically in the competitive arena, it is becoming a divisive element to the game. It is, it is the... And what, and what I mean by that is the individuals that are more at the top end competitive play are going... It's, it's driving them further up the chain rather than allowing those that are on the lower end to have a shot, a grasp at reaching those upper rungs. And that's because in in all the way down to the entry level, people get into 40K and they look at the competitive level like, okay, so I got my codex, I got my rule book, I'm learning the game, this is fun, you know, I want to try and go to a couple tournaments and then their buddies are like, okay, well, you need this book, that codex, that FAQ, that chapter approved, you need to make sure you get this supplement, oh, and make sure you print off all the forge rules for all those guys too. And now all of a sudden they're like, wait, what? And they have all this crap, and they're like, "I just wanted to come play a tournament." But if you really and genuinely want to be competitive, you have to have all that stuff, and that's just for your own damn army.
1: That doesn't go away just because allies are there, um, because all books have that complexity.
0: Yes, I think uh, again, Josh, you are re- you are relying heavily on complexity that is not inherent to allies. That uh, is, you're you're speaking largely of complexity that comes from outside the ally system.
2: Well, it, it's it's not. The ally system is just what expounds on it, all right? So, if I'm running my army, yes, I need my chapter approved. Yes, I need my, uh, you know, if there's an FAQ, I need that. And I'll need my codex, right? And rulebook. Boom. Done. Four. That's it, okay?
0: Forge World. You specifically did call out Forge World as well.
2: Forge World, yes. You're right. I apologize. I apologize. Forge World as well. So, I've got five different aspects that I will need to make sure I study for my army, my codex, my my faction, Okay. But if we bring allies in, those five are now an exponential value. Because now if I add one other codex, it's five more things for that codex. If I add another codex, it's five more things for that codex. see what I'm saying? It's an exponential growth now based on this. It's a multiplier. It's a scaled multiplier. Every ally add in is just adding that many more things just for that ally. That's that's kind of what I'm meaning, is it's not just that I'm needing all this for my codex now. I'm needing it for this allied in, this allied in, this allied in. I need all of those things for each of those allies, and that's a lot of
1: crap. That's a lot. I do admit the books get heavy after a minute. <laughs>
0: now, fortunately, there is uh, digital devices for those who... Enjoy that sort of thing. I certainly, when I switched over from having six books to a tablet, that uh, made my tournament preparation a hell of a lot easier.
1: Help my back. I'm a mascus that enjoys hauling around physical weight.
0: Apparently, uh, but of course, that's a choice rather than a uh, a requirement. Let's talk a little bit about in terms of history, uh, because allies have actually had a very interesting history through the game. Uh, for those who didn't know, allies have, were part of the original game, uh, dating all the way back to the Rogue Trader and 2nd edition eras. Uh, you could take allied forces as they fell under a a particular definition of units, as they, they divvied up units very differently than force org slots didn't exist. But they then went absent for a number of editions through the game. Um, not really returning until 6th edition came about. Do you feel that this sort of on-again, off-again system of allies prompts us to look one way or the other?
1: So I'll start here, and I am going to put a big caveat on this myself personally. I have basically only played 6th, 7th, and 8th. I have never not seen allies on the table. It's true. That has never not been an army consideration for me. It's all I kind of know in my competitive 40k experience outside of times in which I've limited myself for whatever reason to not having allies. Mm -hmm. So in that regard, they've been part of the game for better part of five years now. And there are a lot of people that have been coming into the game in 8th edition especially that that's all they know.
0: Yeah, because uh, sixth edition—I'm trying to remember exactly when that actually dropped—but that was nearly ten years ago. It point.
1: was like 2013-ish, because that was like the year I—that—that that was like right around when I graduated from college.
0: Yeah, so I think I think about eight and a half years at this
1: point. Yeah, right. Uh, when, I I played one weekend of fifth, and then sixth dropped the next week. Yes,
0: so they've they've obviously been part of the game continuously for a significant period of time. Uh, but of course, there was a significant, quite a large chunk of time through 3rd, 4th, and fifths where they, they weren't part of the game. Uh, Josh, would you care to comment there?
2: So I'm actually going to defer this over to uh, a good friend of mine, Old Man Josh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he's he's going to take this one, alright? Are you sure that's okay? It's With the way his bones are, I don't know if that's, can he handle it? Uh, it's called a Game of Viagra. he will be good at least four
0: hours. <laughs> oh. No. Oh, that's that's different than I was thinking. But all right. All right. Uh why don't why don't we let old man Josh take the table?
2: so Back in my day, when you had to put your blood, sweat and tears into your models, and I mean real blood. You had to use the metal lead and it made you bleed just holding on to them. You had to squeeze it so hard <laughs> your knuckles went white. That was a real days <laughs> when you had to play this game. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't have none of this ally crap these sissies use now. Mm -mm. Nah, we had to do it the hard way. You wanted to run Sisters of Battle, you put all them battle nuns on the table and you did it right. We didn't have none of this. (laughs) I'm going to bring in some pointy-eared elves and... Some suit wearing fish folk and commies. Nah, we did it right. All right. And do it the way you young whippersnappers. Now, I want to bring guns, you get guns. I want to bring swords, you get swords. Now, you want swords, you ain't got no guns. That's how we did it. That's (laughs) how it was made to be. That's how it should be done. Enough said. And you had to walk uphill both ways to the game store, I bet.
0: In the snow oh wow yeah you you guys had invented snowback
2: then huh I gotta go get my dentures I'll be back <laughs> <laughs> all right well yeah so that was uh that was old man Josh uh I think he made some fine points he he, he really kind of just uh, said all that needed to be said on that one
1: <laughs> I, I I will contest that sissies play elegantly and don't get themselves into competitive drama trouble
0: yeah <laughs> That's very possible. Uh, I'll also note that uh, for those of you who have kind of looked back over the past few years and compared these editions to previous editions, I think most people would argue that the better editions of the game have been the more recent ones.
1: Yes.
2: Sadly, I have to confer concur with that. Sadly, yes. I, I, I can't argue against that. The game, I, I, and I've said it many, many, many times, uh, in all honesty, in, in all truth, 8th edition has been the best state of the game for both competitive and non-competitive 40k that I have ever seen.
0: That's actually a pretty good chance for us to move into our closing statements here. So we're going to give each of you a chance to make a final summary of your arguments, uh, your pluses and minuses, and why you think your your case is in the right. We're going to go ahead and start with Shaylin. You have five minutes.
1: Oh, that's not crushing at all. Um, Let's begin. To start with, allies add in some variety and freshness and complexity. There is obviously intent to create some more potential factions and variety in the game, such as Gene Steeler Cult coming in and giving Tyranids some love, uh, as far as the allies are concerned. It also basically takes armies that have some pretty serious flaws and lets them even be on the table and successful and uh, can create shore-ups and interest in that regard, and not just visual interest and narrative interest as well, because those are parts of the interest. Certainly. And even competitive players do like having that narrative aspect available. Like, I have this fluffy Inquisition army! <laughs> I-, I do think they are part of the game, they were intended to be part of the game, and if we're playing as intended, we should be using them.
0: Alright. Uh, Josh? I believe it is your chance to take the stand. All right. Why should we not have allies?
2: I'm going to caveat this entire argument with, I do not feel allies as a rule need to go away completely. As Shaylin mentioned, they are part of the game. They were written as an intent into the game. I will concede that point. I will, however, caveat that with, they do not belong in competitive play. That is the point I'm trying to make. No different than bike captains no longer belong in competitive play, or uh, dreadnoughts with uh, double auto cannons on each arm belong in competitive play. Um, there's various aspects that GW has accepted and acknowledged that while our part of the game do give variety and spice and life to the game, do not balance well to the competitive aspect of the game. And I feel allies is one of those rules. If <clears throat> example, Someone wants to run Inquisition and the uh, uh, whatever the something Lucidian Star and in their army. Hmm. <laughs> you know what? Let's keep that in the legacy category, the legend category. You know, yeah, you can run them in narrative events and open play events and all that stuff, but in the competitive arena, no, they don't belong there. And it's very easy if you want to have those armies that are going to be armies that are designed for being. A competitive army like example you know we mentioned gray knights earlier they're a little on the low end okay then instead of having 18 different factions that you could bring in with gray knights why don't they just put a little bit of effort into okay let's make gray knights a good mono faction there's probably a what small handful of codexes that really struggle in the mono category that could probably take a little bit of love and totally be in that realm and totally playable in a competitive setting and it would take far less effort from games workshop's point of view to make those uh codexes playable in a competitive setting and then allow the rest of the game all, all the extra stuff all the other stuff to be exactly that they're still part of the game but they're not for that true competitive edge and i feel that at that point you're still getting your everyone gets their cake everyone gets to eat it but you're not overcomplicating the entire concept of competitive play
0: all right well some strong arguments on both sides there. Uh, I'm not sure we have necessarily convinced anyone as to the absolute righteousness of one side or the other, but I think there's a lot of interesting food for thought there. Uh, that Everyone can kind of take away from this whole discussion. And even if you may stand on one side or the other, you have at least kind of uh, learned some of the reasons that other ma- people may stand to the other side.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean... In all, know, I honestly, I have to accept the fact that Shaylin is righteous. I'm just self-righteous.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, you can be evil and righteous.
1: It's true. It's just, I will give of, him that.
0: Instead of being
1: righteous,
0: you're righteous!
1: <laughs> Someone's been playing a psycho of Borderlands recently, hasn't he?
0: Yes. So, uh, if any of you have any thoughts on the subject that you'd like to give us, or maybe just kind of put out to the world at large, or maybe you have questions, or have a subject for an episode you'd like to see us do, you can get in contact with us. Uh, we have an email account, in the finest Hour at gmail.com, as well as a Facebook and Patreon page. And if you donate to our Patreon, $5 a month, uh, you can not only get access to our very fancy Discord server, where we post stupid memes and talk about lists and chat with each other, uh, but also get into the Facebook group, uh, where you can get a little bit more long-term contact with us. You also can check out our website, where we will post things up periodically, uh, usually if we have something particularly visual that needs to go up. Uh, But, of course, this being an an audio medium does not translate well to the episodes themselves. Do either of you have anything you want to add, aside from our our final thanks and whatnots?
1: I would like to prompt this one question, how do we actually all feel about Allah?
0: Oh, that's a complicated one. Because yes, we've all taken our roles for the purposes of the episode, but as we preface the whole thing with, these are not necessarily our actual feelings on the subjects.
1: My, my feelings are gray. Hmm? Uh, there, there's good and bad, for one thing, I just like the fact that Imperial Knights are everywhere. I really actually hate that.
0: That's um, entirely fair.
1: But at the same time, I can't play my army with crud. so.
0: Yes,
2: from my point of view, and it is an honest opinion, I actually feel allies have added so much to this game uh, that it did not actually have previously. And that's one of the reasons why, yes, they had them a long time ago, but it wasn't. there was no way in the original form that it ever could have been competitive. 6th edition, they kind of brought it out as a trial. 7th edition, they tried honing it. 8th edition, I really think they got it right. And they've been working on it the whole way of 8th. They've been tweaking it and fixing it, and very responsive. But I really feel allies are an integral part of the game right now. It allows all these different factions to actually maintain their identity, which I like. Because previously that was the only way you could make these armies work, was you'd have demons and chaos and death guard and thousands, all in one book. Hmm. And they really didn't have their identity. And now you have these armies with their identity of who they are. And I kind of like that. I really feel like the game is, it's given a lot of breadth to the game that needed. So in all honesty, I actually love Allies. I think it's a really, really great part of the game.
1: Yeah.
0: That's interesting, because I actually kind of sit closer to where the position Josh took during the episode. (laughs) Um, I feel that allies are in the game. They're not going to go away for a variety of reasons, not the least of which being GW's bottom line. Yeah. Um, But I think their overall impact on the game and the way many of the factions are designed has actually been negative. Um, Mm -hmm. That players may enjoy them, but they don't. The, the sort of hidden cost that you pay in terms of, oh boy, it's Imperial Knights plus Imperial Guard plus whatever faction you technically count as, again, has has been a very negative impact for many players and one that is not necessarily easily tied to the ally system as a whole. It's not as though I'm howling for blood on allies. They are what they are and they're in the game, so I sort of accept them. Um, but I think that broadly speaking, they have detracted from faction identity.
1: Mm-hmm. I do think that we do need rules for them because, as I said, they have a place in competitive and narrative play, so sure. they require rules regardless.
0: Yeah, uh, they're going to exist in some form. That's just sort of a reality at this point. Uh, the, 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 I think the the real question we were discussing during the episode is in what form, to what degree. To round things out here, I would like to say thanks to Dank Muse, who has provided the music for our episode. Uh, it has remained as funky as always. You would definitely check him out on YouTube, SoundCloud, or Spotify if you enjoy the opening or intro music.
1: I'd like to thank Rylan Woodrow for doing our amazing art and Stephanie Sherman for doing our t-shirts.
2: I would definitely like to offer up anyone that would like to advertise or have a uh, opportunity to to have their business or event represented by us, please feel free to reach out to us at uh, either our email at in the finest hour at gmail.com or our Facebook group or our Patreon. Don't hesitate to reach out.
0: All right. I think that wraps up everything for this episode. Next episode, we're going to have kind of a, a short little thing. Given our new format, but we're going to talk about a specific unit from Josh's list that he ran at the London GT Invitational. uh, The Hunter, which has gained quite a bit of infamy
2: with players, apparently.
1: Well, it's here by popular demand. Like, how many people asked you? Uh,
2: That weekend alone, over 30.
1: There you go. Popular yeah. demand.
0: Uh for all of, for all of you who want to know about the hunter and how it works, we're going to have kind of a short mini format episode where Josh will talk about that and why he included it in his list and what he thinks it does. So, until next time, I have been Sean Morgan, Shaylen Allen,
2: and Joshua Depp.
0: Thanks for listening.